Declaring the word of the Lord, behold. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for all that is here, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this offering that we're about to receive in your precious and holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you, you amen, I mean, make it fourfold, five times, tenfold, whatever, Lord, but Lord, do it for your kingdom, Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's continue our worship singing. Hallelujah.
a beautiful presence again. Yes. Amen. What a way to start the morning. Amen. In the presence of God. I don't know, sometimes we don't really, we're not mindful. We don't think about them like that. This is awesome. That we can come into His presence and we can Freely lift our hands and our voices and our hearts and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Beautiful. There's nothing like this. Nothing like this. Good to see everybody here today. I have quite a few out-of-towners today. Well, a few of them. Some of our people left and some of them came. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But they're gone for a good reason. It's not like Hallelujah. It's good to see Tim. Yeah. And then of course my sister and my brother-in-law, my nephew, and then uh, sister Martha and sister Peggy from Denver, Colorado. Wow. That's a long ways to travel for church. Yes. Back in the days, and of course, when we lived in White River, I remember uh, whenever they would have revival down there, we would make that trip just to be in revival, and we'd head out in the morning and get there just in time for the evening service. Of course, more than one service, but you know, it's it was it was well worth it, and it still is. Amen. Amen. Just to worship God. Yes. That's a testimony. Amen. I always remember Brother Hancock preaching about a missionary who was down in South America and preaching the gospel to a lot of those indigenous people down there. And one particular story about a young lady who got filled with the Holy Ghost. She was baptized in Jesus' name and 
She made her trek back to her village some 40 miles away, some 30, 40 miles away on foot. And she was witnessing to her, to her uh, family and to her village. And, and she was trying to remember, of course, you know, the language and everything, but she was trying to remember in English what the name was that she was baptized in. So because she couldn't remember, she turned around and she made that trek all the way back just to find out what that name was. Man. That's something about people that are uh, touched by the Word of God and touched by truth, affected by the truth. And, you know, we don't realize and understand how, amen, that's something that is uh, special and something that we should never take for granted. I want to thank everybody for helping with the Taco Show Friday. We... We uh, earned, uh, what was it again, the amount? 900. 900. Wow. Everybody that contributed as far as the, the stuff for the sale and everybody that was here helping and delivering everything, thank you very much. That was a blessing. That was $50 better than the last time, so it's getting... It's getting... Uh, Better and better. Obviously, the blessing of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't think there's anything else right now, so I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the other Sunday school classes this morning. And all the adults stay in here. I don't know what the temp's supposed to be like today. I think it's up in the lower 80s. About 82, somewhere around there. This morning's temperature was just perfect for me. This is my time of the year going into the fall, and I just love this, the fall season. And uh, the temperature. And I'm not afraid of the snow either, so. I'm not afraid of winter. Something to be able to experience all the seasons of the year and know what it's like to go through all the different climates that we have. So, but this is my favorite time of the year. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to turn your attention this morning to the book of Colossians chapter 1. For those of you that have brought your Bibles. Hallelujah. The Lord laid this on my heart and... and uh, The way, the way I like to do things, if I'm doing some teaching, mainly with teaching, I like to try to follow the same uh, topic and just kind of, you know, just try to uh, bring out what we're talking about going through it. And uh, I always like to follow that. That's kind of the pattern I have and just go along with it. But that's what, that was my intention. That was my intention for today. But obviously, uh, the Lord... 
redirected me this morning. So I had to lay aside those notes. And that's something when we have to do that. Uh, I didn't panic though. I didn't panic. Because sometimes when, when the Lord moves like that, when He moves, you think about it, and we've been talking about that. Everything that's been happening here in our in our past services, our recent services, is just the the ability to be spontaneous with the move of God's Spirit. Be there right on time. How many of you do things spontaneously? You just you know, you're in the moment, you just boom. Something that you haven't planned, something that you haven't been thinking about, you haven't been, you know, in your mind, you haven't been going over it, all of a sudden it just happens and boom, there it is. And you're just, <clears throat> you give into, you know, the, how would I say, the, the force of it, the motion of it in you. And, and a lot of times, uh, those kind of things, it's, we can't, we don't have the, 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 the time to try to figure it out or whatever. Because that's how we are as human beings. We always try to figure things out. How many of you like to argue with God? <laughs> I always lose, but I try. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that, but that's human nature. Human nature always likes to argue with God. We don't even we don't even realize that we argue with Him. We resist Him. That's human nature. Everything about God, when we get in, in that place where, when we're when we come into a certain, uh, how would I say, place. You know, when the Bible says that they were all with, they were all with in one mind, and they were all in one accord, and in one place. So when you look at that scripture and, and you say to yourself, well, that means that they all. It's like we're doing this morning. We're congregating. And we're all we all we've all come to this place, and we're all sitting inside this little sanctuary, and we're all submitting ourselves to God's presence and to His Word. So we can translate it that way. We can interpret the Scripture that way. So here we are. But it, that that Scripture goes even further than that. It's actually coming to a time where God wants to get our attention. He wants to get our attention. So he brings us into that place, not just our physical environment, but even in our mind, in our spirit. Well, everything else that is around us is going to be basically shut off. And we could have the opportunity to be able to look at him and behold him. Where you're, there's no way you can avoid there's no way you can avoid. You can't be distracted. You can't turn your back. You can't stand up and walk away. Why? Because God, obviously, wants our attention. He wants us to focus on Him. How many of you is it difficult right now to quit thinking about all the other things that are going on in your life right now? All the other activities that are going on right now, you're trying to somehow get them out of your mind so you can. And, and, and the thing is, you should be thinking about what's taking place right, right. here. Amen. You should be focusing on uh, on what's going on right here and doing your best to, you know, let your mind lead you there. 
and not being distracted. Because this might be the only moment you get. <laughs> this might be the only opportunity where you can see God face to face. You could see him clearly. This could be the only opportunity you get where everything else is. It's totally, you know, there's nothing there to distract you. How many have been there in, in certain moments in your life that you've been in that place? The Lord has just kind of put everything, pushed everything back, and He's just allowed that so you could stand there and, you know, He doesn't have to go like this. Right. 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 Try to get your attention. Man, the presence of the Lord is He's powerful, isn't it? What we feel in this place, what we feel in this place. It's remarkable because it basically what it does is it it bears witness to us to the accuracy of his word. By that I mean this. He said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Right. So because of that, we know that's what the scripture says. We know that that word is true. That is a scriptural fact. And so because obviously we have more than a heavenly quorum here. So we can feel his presence. How many can feel the presence of the Lord? Come in here. You feel it. Don't be afraid to. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't be afraid to acknowledge him. Don't be afraid to reach out for him. He's the best thing that could ever happen to you in your life. The best thing. He's the best experience you could ever have in your life. More than any other experience you've had. And we've all had some experiences in our life, different kinds of experiences. But you know what? Since the day I received the Holy Ghost, I was just so overwhelmed with the love that he, that was manifested to me. And what he not has just done for me, but done for every person in this world. And I tell you what, I've been, haven't been the same person ever since. Hallelujah. So I'm thankful. Oh, did I, did I give you a, did I give you a, a book? Colossians, all right. Chapter 1. Verses, let's start with 25. We'll read from 25 to 29. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. I, I, you know, we'll, we'll read. Something just hit me, so I'm, I'll, I'll go on. But we'll read. Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
My. To whom God would make, okay, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Where to I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Beautiful. But here's the Apostle Paul bearing his testimony, speaking about the whole reason why he obviously was called to be an apostle, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole reason. Okay? I was thinking about this and the thought that came to my mind is what he stated there in verse number 27 when he talked about how God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That's you and I. We're Gentiles. He says, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Jesus in you. Look what he calls it. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. In other words, God wants to get glory. He wants to be glorified. And that, that glory is based upon us experiencing, amen, the salvation that he has brought to us. And what is that salvation? Being born again. Right. Being filled with his spirit. I, 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 want, I want to share something with you. I just, I, 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 as I was going on, you know when he starts out and he says in verse number 25, we'll kind of do a little piece by piece. We'll, 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 what they call expository. So he says, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Okay? He said, I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God. The dispensation of God. Do you realize this? God, the Lord, chooses a time and if, I, if, if we want to kind of, in a sense, uh, maybe even bring it a little bit closer, we can understand. He even chooses a place. If, if we've never really studied going back into uh, history of the Bible, going way back into uh, in the Old Testament and even coming up to the present day, you're going to find out there are seven dispensations of time. And each one of those dispensations of time, God dealt with man in a particular way. And he always gave them, amen, particular instructions. I'm saying it so you can understand it. He always somehow brought some commandments, statutes, and laws to man for that particular dispensation. A dispensation is a period of time, has a beginning and has an end. So you know what I'm talking about. So he always dealt with man. And there's seven dispensations of time that he dealt with man on. He gave him a, a, particular, co a particular commandment 
But if they broke that commandment, if they disobeyed God's word, what happened? Judgment always came. So that time came to a end by the judgment that was meted out to mankind because of the disobedience to God's word. Do you understand that? Yes. A dispensation of time. <laughs> Amen. Did you realize this? We are in the dispensation. A lot of uh, theologians like to, like to uh, uh, say that we are in the dispensation of grace. And the dispensation of grace are, as some even uh, like to say, the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is the spirit of grace. So that dispensation begun on the day of Pentecost, 33-34 AD, when the Holy Ghost was poured out on those 120 believers in the upper room in Jerusalem, you read that in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2. So it began, guess what, guess what that was? That, what happened at that particular time when they experienced that outpouring of God's Spirit, guess what it was? It was the birthday of the church. That's when the church began. Okay? So that's how it began. And guess what? The dispensation or the commandment was this. That Jesus basically, amen, gave that instruction to all his disciples. And he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Matthew 28. Huh? Yep. 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 Luke 16. Uh, no, Mark 16. Luke 24. John chapter 19. What we refer to as the Great Commission. The instructions he gave to them that repentance and remission of sins should be taught in his name beginning where? Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and then he said to the uttermost parts of the world. So it began from there, and guess what? It's still happening right now. Those commandments now here's the thing. Many people may have deviated from the original instructions. I disagree with a, a, a theologian. You probably all know him. I'm not going to say his name. But as he, as he referenced in studying church history, he said that uh, the early church doesn't exist no more. You know what I mean? The early church doesn't exist. Did you know that when, whenever theologians talk about the history of the church and they go back, they'll go back as far as the, the, as the third century. They won't go back any further than that. They don't want to go back to the second century and to the first century. They'll go back as far as the third century. Amen. They want to recognize that from the 3rd century, the beginning of the 3rd century, all the way up until the present day, that's what you call church history. No, it's not. Church history goes all the way back to the 1st century, yes. to 34 A.D. Yes. Amen. Yes. Little, little yes. Bible history. Right. And so, so we understand that. So we, so we see this. And so what I'm...
telling you about is, is this dispensation that the Apostle Paul was talking about. The dispensation of God. So the commandment was set forth when he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach all nations. You know, and if you if you study the original Greek, it's amazing. Because Matthew 28, 19 is not in the original Greek. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Is obviously it was placed there by those who, uh, amen, who, who uh, were part of the group of uh, theologians and scholars that uh, basically wrote the New Testament from the original Greek documents. So what they did was they took the Word of God and they obviously they added a little bit. Of, and it's red letter. If you have a red letter edition... It's always in red letter, but if you study the original Greek, it's not even in the original Greek. That's something, isn't it? It stops right there where it talks about. Uh, it stops right there where it talks about him giving them the instruction to go therefore and teach all nations. Uh, and and here's the thing. So he says, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Teaching them. Look what he says. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Man, what an admonition. Teaching them to observe all things. How many of you are observant? How many of you pay enough attention? And this is talking about what Jesus was, you know, telling his disciples. This is what you need to do. You need to, amen, go out and you need to make believers of every person that you witness to. And when you make believers of them, you need to baptize them. Hmm? And of course he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So think about that. How many of you know how to interpret this scripture verse? Show of hands. How many of you know how to interpret that scripture verse? What it really means? You know, I was raised up in a denominational church. We were taught certain things, so we submitted ourselves to it. That's what we believed. The majority of my life until I was in my early 20s, when I came to the knowledge of the truth, I believed that way. We did everything that we were instructed, that we were, you know, that was given to us as far as far as that was concerned and, and, and here's the thing never even took it upon myself to even try to even search 
our research or to really understand God's word. I just, I just took their word at it. I believe everything they told me. Right. Amen. I, and, and it's something to be able to. I'm, I'm this is my testimony. I'm sharing my testimony with you. So when you get into a place where you experience the spirit of God, like we all are experiencing what we feel, what we have felt coming into this place. And then you hear for the first time the word of God really being expounded. Really being preached with anointing, with authority. One time, one time, one time somebody said, How come you preach the way you do? <laughs> well, it's certainly not me. Huh? I'm right now I'm being reserved. This is Sunday school, so I'm being reserved. Otherwise, I'd be up here jumping and whatever I do. But why do you preach like that? Well, let me tell you something. If the Lord changed your life and you experienced what it was coming from death to life, what would your testimony be? And how would you minister to others? Let me tell you something. Death to life. Guess what? I'm not living in sin no more. I'm alive in Jesus Christ. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. So as a result, when I minister, guess what? I minister with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And you know what that is? That's God's authority. And so that's why sometimes it's just like that experience. I remember experiencing that when I walked into the Loving Way Church, Brother Gordon's. Amen. It was just like, and that's what you do. You just kind of go. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Amen. Amen. I've seen people acting like, you know, why, why are they, why are they loud like that? Right. Amen. Huh? What's all this craziness? I mean, they were just loving God, huh? Right. Amen. Just like when you go to the football game, what do you do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we can exert the same enthusiasm and the same emotions for God like we do in other Amen. events and activities. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. There's no harm in that. And guess what? God's church is not a quiet, dead church. It's a live church. That's the difference. Anyway, let's, let's get back to what I'm talking about. So he says baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Remember, we're still talking about the hope of glory. And so, when he gave them that those instructions, you know, and, and, and a lot of people think those scripture verses really basically hurt us, they don't hurt us. Even though they're not in the original Greek, they don't hurt us at all. Because we know what the name of the Father is. Right. We know what the name of the Son is. And we know what the name of the Holy Ghost is. Right. Amen. Jesus. 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 Amen. That's right. That's right. Amen. It's just like, for example, myself. I'm a father. My name yeah. is Harold. I'm a son. My name is Harold. Yeah. I'm a minister. My name is Harold. That's right. Amen. Three attributes. Not persons, attributes. That's right. And so we see that now. So 
Now we see something about this. Uh, I'm glad that we know what what that truth is, and of course, what Paul is talking about here uh, when he was talking about this in the book of Colossians about the hope, the hope of glory it was obviously spoken of way before the church was born. How many of you know that? Remember, this is Bible study. This was spoken of way before the church was even born. God had this plan that he was going to, amen, bring salvation to man that was going to basically be the ultimate experience of salvation. Remember the Old Testament did not, the Old Covenant did not do the job. Amen. It was imperfect. That's interesting, isn't it? Let me, let me go back, just let me go back just a little bit. Just let me revisit something about the Old Testament. Why was it insufficient as far as salvation was concerned? They brought all those sacrifices up. They shed the blood, as the book of Hebrews said, almost all things are by the law, purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins. So that blood had to be shed, but why were those sacrifices not sufficient enough to save Israel? That's interesting, isn't it? Why weren't they? Because guess what? All those sacrifices, all those animals died and they never came back to life. So once they died, they died. But this sacrifice, after Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins and he gave up the ghost on the cross and he was taken and laid in that tomb for 72 hours. Guess what? He didn't stay in that tomb. What happened? He resurrected. Yes. He rose from the dead. So he was the only sacrifice that came back to life. Right. Amen. Amen. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Yes. Amen. So that's the difference because this sacrifice was obviously based upon better promises as the writer of Hebrews says. Okay, let, let, me, let me just... So uh, go with me to 1 Peter chapter... One, just getting back to our thought here, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. First Peter chapter one, verse number 10, if you're there. Look what he says, wherefore the rather brethren what, what, what? Second Peter. I mean, no, First Peter. I'm in. I'm in Second Peter. Excuse me. Excuse me. There I go again. Not watching what I'm doing. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So the prophets prophesied about this grace. And that's what Peter's saying. The prophets which prophesied, which have inquired, 
and search diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now look what he says. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. And look what he says. And the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Now look what he says. Which things the angels desire to look into. Let me tell you something. I make a very big deal about this salvation. There's no salvation like this. There's nothing like this salvation. What the Lord did so that you and I can be saved. There's nothing like this. The prophets prophesied about it. They spoke about what was going to come. But when they prophesied about it, something had to somehow, you know, in their minds, they were beginning to think, what in the world? Is this really going to happen? Is God going to bless man with this, with this grace and that he's going to give to them? Wow. Can you imagine what it was when they didn't even really understand when they started speaking about how the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out upon mankind? And, and the Bible says, even the angels desire to look into it. Even the angels are curious. We were talking about that last night. Angels. Obviously, angels have angels have a choice too. They're God's created beings, but they have a choice. Did you know that? If that wasn't true, then why did the devil sin? He chose to try to exalt himself above God. So because of that sin, he was kicked out of heaven. He was evicted, like the book of Revelation says. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea, because the devil has come down having great wrath. Because he knows he has a short time left. So he chose to exalt himself, tried to exalt himself above God. He sinned. Sin came into his heart. So as a result, guess what? He was he was evicted out of heaven. So angels have a will as well as we. But here they were. They were searching into this salvation. They were trying to, what is this that, that the Lord is going to do for mankind? What is this special? Amen. This special, amen, relationship that God is going to, amen, give to mankind. I was thinking about uh, a testimony I heard about revival that was taking place out to uh, Sacramento where Brother Moses Kateris' church 
was in the, this was back in the early 70s and and uh, Brother Ari Hancock was preaching revival out there. People were getting the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name, miraculous healings taking place. And one night as they were, people were coming up to the altar and praying, there was these two people that were up at the altar praying for the Holy Ghost and here all of a sudden, boy, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they start speaking in other tongues as they were up there at the altar. Lo and behold, guess what happened? Two angels came through the wall and went up to those individuals and they were watching them as they were standing there receiving the Holy Ghost. And when they received the Holy Ghost and started speaking in tongues, guess what the angels did? They turned around and they walked, and walked out through the wall. Man. They're curious. They're curious. Here, and obviously, here's the thing, saints. We have the greatest thing that the world could ever have. Right. right. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. And so we see this. And so the prophets inquired and they searched diligently about these experiences. So you think about it. Go with me. Uh, let's just jump back in the Old Testament just for a few moments here. Uh, I just want to, in a sense, I want to just do a little bit of uh, searching here and establishing. And Isaiah 28, if you want to go there. <clears throat> Verse number 11. You, you see this, and uh, look, look, look at this one. Uh, go back, go back a little bit. Go back to verse number uh, nine. It says, "Whom shall he teach knowledge?" It's asking the question. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. So he says, "For precept must be upon precept." Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little and there little. So what does he mean by that? Whom is he going to te teach doctrine? Whom is he going to teach knowledge? And whom is he, shall he make to understand doctrine? Let me tell you something. What we have is something that was obviously spoken way before we ever experienced it. The church. And so he's saying, what he's saying is that whom is he going to teach knowledge and whom is he going to teach doctrine? Then he goes on, he makes that statement. Then he says, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. What does he mean by that? He means this. It's based upon what we can understand, what we can, amen, uh, learn, and what we can uh, read in the scripture. There's always going to be a witness, a witness to what, amen, God does. And so he's talking about that. So in verse number 11, he says, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Now look, look what he says. For with stammering lips 
and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Amen. Listen, listen to what the prophet Isaiah is saying. Because we do have a witness through the word. We do have a witness. It is established right now. And because what he has, amen, spoken and what is revealed to us. Uh, go, go with me quickly. quickly uh, go with me to Jeremiah 31. And you'll probably, you're all aware of these already, but I'm just... Just for the sake of re-educating ourselves. Jeremiah 31. Look, <clears throat> look what he says in verse number 33 in Jeremiah 31. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Look what he said. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and it will be, and I will and will be their God, and they shall be my people. So you see this. He said that this is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel. I'm going to put my law in their inward parts and write them in their hearts. So you think about this. Of course, you can read, you know, everything from verse number 31 to 34. If you have time to read those pieces of scripture and you get an idea of what he's speaking about here. And then you go over into the book of Ezekiel chapter 11. And verse number 19, and this is what it says, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And verse number 20, That they may walk in my statutes, and keep mine ordinances, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So here we see what Peter was talking about when the prophets prophesied, when they inquired and when they searched diligently of this salvation. Here was a, an experience that they couldn't really comprehend. Hallelujah. And then one of the most notable that we all pretty well know very much, and that's in Joel chapter 2, Verse number 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So here, here, now to be able to comprehend what he's saying about this salvation, this experience, Remember what I said about human nature. Human nature always resists God. And, and Paul references that in the first book of Corinthians chapter 2 when he said that the carnal man cannot perceive the things that be of God because they are foolishness unto him. 
So that is the thinking of mankind. That's the, that's the way they are in their thoughts. You know, we just, God is not something that is, uh, how would I say, of, imp, of importance or a priority or even wanting to, to know. So how could you get somebody that's not interested in you to even love you? Right. <laughs> can't. You can't do that. So what did the Lord do? He said, you know what I'm going to do? This salvation is going to be different. Because this salvation, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm going to, amen, give them my spirit. That's going to be my gift of grace to them. I'm going to pour out the Holy Ghost upon mankind. We were saying something about last night. A lot of people <clears throat> don't want to obey. You know why? Because they always want to try to reason or figure things out. Huh? That's just the way mankind is. We always want to somehow question. Question. I know that because that's how I was. I was the kind of person that said this. I won't believe it unless I see it. But here's the thing. Even when you see it, you still don't believe it. So how would God deal with the, the, the nature we have, our human nature? How will he deal with that because he has tried to persuade men for amen a long time but they just you know what always want to turn their back on God Hallelujah. so what did he do well Obviously, all the other covenants that he made with his people really didn't do really as far as salvation, bringing them to a place where they were totally, totally in a good, strong relationship with them. So what did he do? He gave us that promise. Pouring out his spirit upon man. The spirit of grace. The dispensation of grace. There's going to be a time when I'm just going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity. That's why, amen, both Peter and Paul said that. He's not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. That we would all get the opportunity to be able to hear. To hear. So when we hear, what do we have to do? All he's trying to do is he's trying to persuade us. Get us to the point where we can obey his word. And obey his will. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was trying to witness to them. And uh, but they, they kept coming back to me with, and I'll just say it, excuses, excuses, 
one excuse after the other. And I said, okay, that's fine, that's good. That's good, and, and, and one of the things was, well, I need to get myself, I need to take care of a lot of things that I have in my life that I need to, before I come to church, I wanna, I wanna get my life right. Wow. How many of you ever heard that? Right. Yeah. And my, my response was, oh man, it was hard for me not to go. <laughs> so I had to say, you know what? Don't get good to get God. Right. Get God and then get good. See, that's how it is. We want to try to somehow think we could put those things in place before, but we can't. Just let God take care of it. And so, here's the thing. It's based upon your obedience and your humility. To say, okay, Lord, I didn't understand a lot of things. Of course, all of you that have had the Holy Ghost for a long time, we've never understood a lot of things about God when we first got in church, did we? Yeah. All we did is we just obeyed the Word. Somebody, somebody was, was teaching me and, and witnessing to me about, about what it was to really be born again. And so you know what I did? Rather than trying to question or argue with it, I said, okay, well, that's what I need to do. Because guess what? I was a sinner and I needed God. And so I did just exactly what they did, you know, asked me to do. I did. I repented. And I was baptized in Jesus' name. Let me tell you something. That's, that's a beautiful experience. Here's the thing. To me, it was kind of uh, the exact opposite of what people do. They talk about repentance. And, of course, I was repentant because <clears throat> when I repented, when I, when I repented of everything, I was my, my sin and my life and everything, when I, when I made those changes, I said, Lord, I, I do want to live for you. Guess what happened? Before I was even baptized, a month before I was baptized, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. Just like everybody else, coming up to the altar. And I don't know how many times I went up to the altar trying to get the Holy Ghost. I couldn't get the Holy Ghost. I just, and here I was, finally one service, I just walked up there and I, and I tried one, one more time. I said, I, I want the Holy Ghost. Didn't get the Holy Ghost, so I turned around and was going back to my seat. And, amen. Fortunately, an elderly gentleman stopped me and said, hey, go back up there. So I turned around and I went back up there. And you know, I was frustrated. I was upset. I was angry. Why am I not getting the Holy Ghost? So I stood there and I just, you know, I lifted up my voice and I said, Lord, I give up. Here comes the Holy Ghost. Boom. Right. And all of a sudden I knew something I was saying. Amen. And I and I got so overwhelmed with what I was experiencing, I didn't realize I was standing there and I was speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God was giving me the utterance. Thank you, Jesus. And that's all God wanted me to do. He wanted me to give up. Get out of the way. That's what some of you need to do. You need to give up and get out of the way. Let God move in. I'm still talking about the glory, the hope of glory. So here we are. How are we going to deal with that human nature? Everything we do right now, every, every morning we wake up, we battle with our human nature. 
We're still mortal beings, so we always have to deal with that part of us. And it always impedes our living for Him. Be honest with yourselves. If you allowed your flesh to have its way this morning, you wouldn't be in church. But you have to somehow overcome that flesh and the stubbornness of it. You have to overcome it to get to the place where you can come to the house of God. How many of you was it difficult to lift your hands this morning and worship God? Hmm? To pray. But that's human nature. So how would God deal with our human nature? How would he be able to help us to overcome the desires of our flesh and our carnal mind? How would he do that? Because it's not in us. It's not in us to want to live for God when we're in sin. Or when we're in a carnal mind, it's not in us to do the things of God. We want to do what we want to do. And so, how would God do that? Some of you might say, well, I think I'm going to go see a therapist. Maybe that'll help you. <laughs> Therapy won't help you. Hmm? That's, what, that's what really makes it Beautiful because when God speaks to us and when God deals with us, He gets us in that place where it's it's one on one. And there you are, it's you and God, and nobody else is going to intervene for you. Right. And so we're in that position where we we have to. And we don't just have to. We need to. So you think about that. How was that going to happen? Of course, this is what he said. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. How many of you know this? How many of you know the Bible well enough that when when you see when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. And he took them from Egypt and he took them into Arabia to Mount Sinai. And obviously, he did that for a reason. They were in bondage. 420 years in bondage. So after he delivered them by the hand of Moses, he really didn't waste no time. He began to put everything into motion with them, for them. So you know what he did? He led them from Egypt. He led them from the bondage. Delivered them from it. He took them to Mount Sinai. So there, when he brought them to Mount Sinai, he introduced himself. He came down, he came down upon that mountain. Of course, the Bible says with thunder and lightnings and the smoke of a furnace, he descended upon Mount Sinai. So when all those Israelites seen 
God descended on Mount Sinai. You know what they they were they were afraid. When they heard the trumpets and when they heard all the voices and all the noises and realized how real God was, they were afraid. But what did he do? When he brought him to that place to Mount Sinai and there he was, the first thing he did was he introduced the law. He brought the law to them, gave it to Moses, and Moses in turn was going to deliver it to them. What he talked about? By the hands of a mediator. And so there he was. But what was the thing that he did? He brought the law. He brought his law to us. I want you to understand something. We like to refer to it as the Ten Commandments. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's not just ten. But those Ten Commandments represent all the civil and moral and spiritual laws of God. Because they all have to deal with our relationship with Him. Moral laws. And then they deal with our relationship to our fellow man. And of course, you know, Jesus reinforced that when, they, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And look what he said. <clears throat> upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They're suspended upon those two commandments. So if you keep those two commandments, guess what? The entire law is going to be established in you. You're going to be able to keep God's law. But how is that going to happen? How can we keep God's law if we're sinful creatures and our, amen, our, our fleshly desire always seems to resist God's word and God's will? It's sad, isn't it? It's sad because a lot of people that profess, and I'm not picking on nobody, so please don't get angry with me. When they profess to believe in the Lord Jesus and they profess to be his people, but why is it they have such a hard time living for him? Amen. 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 Because I, I used to be there too. I used to believe. I used to believe. I believe in God. Yes, I know. I, 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 had, I thought I knew who Jesus was. But I didn't really know who he was. And so I believed. But I found out. Just because you believe doesn't make you saved. Amen. Right. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. You have to believe enough to obey God's word. Yes. Amen. And so when I did. And of course we all have found that out. When we obeyed his commandment. Guess what? Here comes. Here comes. Amen. God's light into our lives. Here comes understanding. Here comes revelation. So somehow he had to deal with our carnal nature. So that's why he said this. That's why he prophesied. That's why he moved his prophets to prophesy about this great salvation. And that's why he he moved upon him. And that's why, amen, uh, Isaiah prophesied and he said that, amen, for with stammering lips and other, with another tongue, 
will he speak to this people it's going to be a amen a supernatural experience it's going to be a phenomenal experience so did you realize this did you realize this when he brought his people to Mount Sinai he introduced the law all that taking place but that law was written upon amen tables of stone did you realize this there was a parallel in what happened there there was a parallel in what God was doing for his people and so when you when you see that when they when they slew the Passover lamb to exit Egypt and they got to Mount Sinai did you realize it took them 50 days to get there a 50 day journey <coughs> why was that 50 days and so here's Jesus and the Bible refers to him as the lamb that takes away the sin of the world <clears throat> he was a type the Bible the Apostle Paul called him our Passover Christ our Passover was what crucified for us so there he was crucified on the 14th day of Abib and of course he was buried for three days and he resurrected the third day so from the time of his resurrection <coughs> excuse me which was the first fruits the day of first fruits you count seven weeks seven times seven is what 49 that sounds like something doesn't it So remember the first time he did it, he wrote those laws on tables of stone. But this time, the second time he did it, and there's, a, there's a reason why the Bible says this. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, fully come, had to be, amen, exact. Had to be the 50th day when it was fully come. Why? Because that's the time that the Lord brought the law to the people of Israel. This time, he's bringing the law, but he's not writing it on tables of stone. Guess what he's writing it on? The fleshly table of our hearts. That's why Jeremiah said, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. And I will write it in their hearts and will be to be to them and will be their God and they shall be my people. So what did he do? You know, that's the whole thing about the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Holy Ghost, that born again experience. When we experience that salvation, you ever wonder why it is for us for us to be able to live for God more effectively once we walk in the Spirit? Right. Yes. That's right. We know. <laughs> As I was sharing with you about when, when I got the Holy Ghost and I, amen, one morning I was just looking at myself and I said, mm -hmm, didn't like what I was seeing. 
I was feeling conviction and there I was with my long hair and my mustache. And something just didn't seem right to me, so I said to myself, this is, you gotta make a change. I didn't feel right, didn't feel, didn't feel right. So guess what I did? Went to the barber, got a haircut, shaved off my mustache. Why? I never knew to do that before I even got the Holy Ghost. Are you listening to me? I never even knew to do that before. I even got the Holy Ghost. But something came upon me that conviction. Anybody know what conviction is? Hallelujah. Something that is unexplainable to a lot of people. Look what he says. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I quoted that, and I will give them an one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give them an heart of flesh. So here we see, Amen. What it is to be able. walk listen to what John the Baptist told uh, all the people that were gathered around him when he was baptizing at the Jordan River he says this in Matthew 3 verse 11 he made a statement. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We're speaking about Jesus. He was going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Then in Luke 24, 49, he says, And behold, <clears throat> I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So here he's letting his disciples know what they need to do. Now guess what? When he spoke this to them, if you read this passage in Luke 24, 49, and it's connected to Acts chapter 1, you read this passage. This was 40 days after his resurrection. 40 days after his resurrection. So he instructs them to go into Jerusalem and wait, wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you've heard of it. So when they went into Jerusalem, obviously, as they were tearing in Jerusalem, they tarried 10 days. 40 plus 10, 50, the day of Pentecost. He said, you're going to be endued with power from on high. So he says this, and also, you know, what he speaks to them in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost 
part of the earth. So here we see, as he begins to, amen, reveal, reveal more about this salvation. Hallelujah. And then we see the fulfillment of it. As Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. My. Interesting, isn't it? But that's the history. That's the history. That's the hope of the glory of the church. Hallelujah. So here we have received his... As I said, as I mentioned earlier, we're in the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace, if there's one word we can, if we can consolidate his his commandments, you know, the Great Commission, we talk about the Great Commission and the four Gospels. If we can consolidate all those commandments he gave to us, it can all be consolidated and grouped in one verse, Acts 2.38. And so because we obey Acts 2.38, let me tell you something. That that instruction, that commandment is still given to any person today. Hasn't changed. The writer in the book of Hebrews said in 13.8, he said that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. So in other words, his commandment to us hasn't changed. So that's why the the necessity to obey God's word. Praise the Lord. Like a lot of people say, we can only go back as far as the third century. No, we can't. We go back even further. That's There has always been an apostolic church. How many of you believe that? Always been an apostolic church. There never has ceased to be an apostolic church. May not have been as, you know, as numerous and as all these other denominations. But there has always been a church. God has always had a people. People that have obeyed. Remember what I ministered on? uh, Running out of time. Remember what I ministered on a few days ago or last week? Can't remember when it was. When I talked about who is this that cometh out of the wilderness? The church. And the church has to be willing to assert herself. Why? Well, I'll just totally be honest with you. This is the only saving message the world needs to hear. Last but not least. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 
Verse number one, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? How are we going to escape? If we neglect so great salvation, look what he says, so great, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord <clears throat> and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing witness, bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. My. It has never changed, folks. It has never changed. The message is still the same. The message is still the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's kind of something. Uh, he said that, then he says, Be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines. For it's good, it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats which are not profited, that have not profited them that have been occupied therein. So you know what? We shouldn't believe anything else other than what the message that was proclaimed in the beginning. Here's an ending note on what I was talking to you about dispensation. Because remember, he always gave certain instructions as far as the dispensation and man was to keep those instructions. But every dispensation had a commandment and every dispensation has a judgment. So if we do not obey his commandment for this dispensation, what's going to befall mankind? Destruction. What's going to happen on this earth after the church is lifted up? After we're taken out of this world? You know what the Bible says? He destroyed the first world by water. He said he's going to destroy the second one by fire. So because we will not obey God's word, that's what's going to happen. That's the judgment of the dispensation of grace. But when does grace end? Does anybody know? When does grace end? The rapture of the church. That's when it all comes to an end. When the church is gone, dispensation is over. It's amazing, isn't it? Thank you for your patience. We are going to have afternoon service, so 
<clears throat> those of you that choose to come back this afternoon, I know a lot of people are going to be heading out west for Labor Day. We'll be here. God bless you. Greet me in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming. <clears throat>